welcome back to the latecomers i'm amity i'm lemuel and you guys buckle up because it's gonna be a long one i can already tell we're talking about 1982's story about a family poltergeist uh before we get started how was your week actually i enjoyed my week a great deal i i went out over the weekend and and I've also, I'm, I'm getting better. I think I'm improving. You had exercise. You went out into yes. the world to exercise with your exercise group and your martial arts. Right. And I'm, I'm practicing every night again, so I'm getting used to it. Although, huh, yes, there are some yeah. times when it's a little bit... Um, I, I think your stamina has gone to about zero. No, so no, stamina is, is fine. Bit? It's okay. the twisting from side to side because it's it, such a force of habit that you have to find you a way around it. still... Very slowly. Do it. Yeah. To pain, right? right? Like, yes. that's the thing. You just have to be very aware of your body, a thing I am terrible at. So I hope you're better at it. But I'm, if I do it very slowly, it kind of works. Mm-hmm. Instead of doing everything at this kind of really slow speed. But uh, but I'm feeling a lot better. It's just now um, being tired a lot. Mm-hmm. I, I spoke to... A, the infectious disease uh, surgeon, or surgeon, no, person Doctor, who, yeah. yes. And uh, she was telling me, well, you're still in the recuperation phase. Yeah, and you yeah. will be for a while. Right, for another year or so. Yeah. Great. The other half of that, though, is you've got to eat more. You're still eating only a little bit, but you need all the energies. Okay, so how was your weekend? You need all the energies for your bones and then your and then your exercises. My week was good. I went on. I went away, and then I came back. (laughs) That was basically it. Two, four-hour drives, and uh, I got to watch this movie. So that was good. So yeah, this is interesting. Start talking about this movie. Well, actually, um, yes. Okay, let's start with what is your history with this movie? I first saw it. I've only really seen it. I think. I saw it twice. The most recent time was not too long ago. Yeah, I made you watch it, I think, like two years ago, maybe. Yeah, and then before that, it was... Um, not that... when it came out, right? No, you no, were no, no, no. too young. I, I watched it... You were Robbie's age. <laughs> yeah, I, was, I watched it when I was living with my roommate in Alameda. Oh, okay. Which would be 25 20 plus years, years ago. ago. Yeah, yeah, right. Like older that. than... Oh, before your child was right. born. Um, okay, cool. So what about you? I don't remember the first time I saw this movie. Probably in high school. Wow. So did you see it the first time around? Or I'm trying to remember. No, I was two okay. when it came out. Keep forgetting how old you are. Yes, I was a wee babe. And my parents did some bad things, but showing me Poltergeist at, at two wasn't one of them that I recall. Uh-huh. Although... This is the year that E.T. comes out, Uh and I know I saw E.T. at the theater, followed, I believe, by maybe a Lethal Weapon movie, wherein my parents figured we would have been conked out by then, but I don't sleep if there's a movie on, so so they didn't make a lot, and I also saw Gremlins when I was way, way too young, but... um, but I didn't see this one until I was a little bit older. But I have always really loved this movie for the stuff that wasn't the horror stuff. I like the horror stuff, mm-hmm. too. But I think this might be one of my 
favorite depictions of family right. in cinema, which we'll definitely talk about. Um, so yeah, there's. Let's talk about the production of this movie, and let's briefly touch on the curse without spending too much time on that because it's depressing. It's, but it's depressing. Worth, it's also, worth talking about. Right. That. I mean, you're gonna have to address it at some point. Right. So yes. Yeah, so we. Um, this movie was. Directed by Toby Hooper, right. the uh, the director of the Texas, the Chainsaw, Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Massacre. This is the first um, sort of studio film mm-hmm. that he was brought in for. He was hand brought in by Steven Spielberg, right. who was the executive producer and spent every day on set. Yes. Leading to big speculations as to who actually directed this film. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm going to say... Toby Hooper is the director of this film. That's where I'm coming down mm-hmm. on. I've read a bunch of quotes, a bunch of articles on on the subject. I think he was handheld by an over-eager EP and had things taken away from him mm-hmm. in unfair ways. Right. Uh, but I don't think this is a. I don't think this is a Steven Spielberg movie. I think this is a Steven Spielberg production. Right. But not a film by Steven Spielberg, if that makes sense. Because Spielberg wrote um, a lot of it, and the themes are Spielbergian for right. sure. Um, but I'm not taking anything away from Toby Hooper. No, um, I've seen <laughs> Toby Hooper's best known for the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Yes. He's done uh, several other movies. Fun House was another one that got him the. Um, the uh, recognition yeah. to do this film. Okay. Uh, there's one called Eaten Alive, which is very strange. And it has to do with a, a murderous house in the bayou where they dump the bodies over and feed He's them to like a crocodile. A, almost like a prototypical uh, Robert Rodriguez. They're from the same place, right? right. He's in Austin. He's from Austin as well. And um, what did he call the Texas Chainsaw Massacre like the reason he, he what he was doing uh-huh. was a response to like a hillbilly exploitation right which I thought was really interesting so I've never seen the original Texas Chainsaw Massacre I, I haven't seen I, the I, I've seen enough of it to yeah. understand what it is and know that it isn't for me right I, it's possible uh, on a tough skin day I could check it out but right now that just is not it, there's there's a couple of um, interesting lines that I don't cross. Yeah. Uh, one of them is I I don't like cannibalism as a theme. Right. I didn't realize there was cannibalism right. as a theme. It's unsurprising to me, right. but I didn't know that from the get. And so that's part of it. Unlike these movies that are coming out that are called Raw, and the people are like, oh, it's cannibalism. And I'm right. like, it's called Raw. Raw. The warning is marked clearly on like, the label. It. These there are, I don't want, even want to use the word tropes, but no. there are themes within horror, right? And and horror directors know them, and will put this information on their films, yeah, so that they get to where they need to go, right? And so, <laughs> so like in my case, I've seen some of the other ones. I stayed away from the Texas Chainsaw Massacre mm-hmm. because there are some subjects like. Child abuse yeah. or um, like sexual violence. A lot of times, I'm like, no, yeah, you just no, don't, no, 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 don't no. need it. Yeah, and so 
I didn't see this one because there were so many themes about mutilation and wearing body parts. And I know like you've that. seen the replay. The I've remake. seen the remix yeah. or the, rema- the, the remake. Remix uh, <laughs> with um with Jessica Biel, Jessica Biel and it was probably one of the more Catholic films I've seen. Oh, it's, <laughs> it's very it's like there's a lot of saint imagery in the film, and, and someone's crucified, and uh, she's Jessica Biel's character actually gets to. Like strength from their blood dropping on her. It's very weird. He's also a, like a prototypical Rob Zombie, yeah, in style. Yes, and I think Rob Zombie's kind of you know. And I bet that they may got along. Yeah, yeah. Windblown and often shaggy-looking characters. Yes, just gri- grime, right? Just, just you know, sweat and then dust. Right, that exactly. combination of things. Yeah. But um but yeah, so I don't know if you want yeah, to agree. Yes, yeah. So I first saw Steven Spielberg when he was doing his promo for Raiders of the Lost Ark. So not Jaws. Uh no. Later than that. Uh and he was talking about Jaws though to Dick Cavett. It was on the Dick Cabot show. Okay. That used to be run on in afternoons um on PBS and I was a weird kid, so I'd watch this. Like it. And well, it's about movies, and you love movies. Right. Well, that was it. And Dick Cavett also had a lot of other interesting guests, but this particular episode was just Steven Spielberg talking about movies, and he had two of them with him, with Dick Cavett. And, uh, and so I felt like here's a person who understood loving movies, because he talked about all these mm-hmm. films that he'd seen and all these films he did. Yes, of all the things you could mm-hmm. say about Steven Spielberg, he absolutely he loves, loves movies. movies. Part of the issue that I have with him is really is part of what produced this film. Mm -hmm. He was asked by the producers of Close Encounters of the Third Kind to do a sequel. Right. The sequel was going to be a horror movie. Uh, We will be watching Close Encounters in this series. It's a film I've never seen. Right. It is not a horror film. There are scary moments in it. Understood, yeah. Very scary moments in it, but... He's not a... He's not known, right? Even though Jaws is well, Jaws Raiders or Indiana Jones and Temple of Doom. Temple has of Doom has really straight up horror scenes sure. in there. Yeah, that's my intro he, to the to the to the Indiana Jones right. franchise. I saw that one before I saw any of the other ones, and it's yeah. my favorite because it's the first one I saw. Right. Even though it's probably not, it, it's probably the worst one. It is well, a, Crystal Skull is worse, but well, it's it. Was the most inappropriate for the age group it was targeting. Right, and I was very right. young when I saw it. I was, I, mm, I might have seen it in the theater. But originally, Close Encounters was going yes. to have this sequel called Keep Watching the Skies. Which what is, a terrible title. He's the ahead. final line from one of the other movies we've just right, seen. Right, yes, that's right, The Thing. Well, and that's so, funny. Yeah, he wanted to call yeah. it that, like, oh, okay, but here we go now. Here's the bad and aliens. And then John Carpenter made his The Thing and, <laughs> and, and was like, no, I take it. You can't well, call it. Well, there, there was some sort of issue about the title. They wound up changing it to Night Skies. Um, Night Skies is a good name. Right. Good and title. There Never are seen that film. aliens who come to Earth they make friends with a family, just sort of like an E.T. The One of the kids is, I think, autistic or developmentally disabled, and he makes friends with the alien. That's the E.T. relationship. Gotcha. Comes from the, that, that, uh, that relationship. And had he written the script? He had written the script and then passed it over to John Sayles. Oh, interesting. Who is a genius, that yeah. man. Um, God, for he, a rewrite or for to direct? To, to write the film. 
To, oh, okay. And so he wrote a treatment and right. then gave it to sales to do this. Which is typically how it's done. And then gave Rick Baker, uh, a, just to, you come up with the alien for this. And one of the disputes that still is in existence, apparently, is that Rick Baker worked on Steven Spielberg's word and spent several thousand, thousand dollars to produce this thing that in the end just got not used, but he didn't have any right to use it because it was done for Steven Spielberg and he retained all the rights to it. Here's, did he, did Rick Baker get paid? Um, I'm not sure that he Because did. if Rick Baker did not get paid, mm-hmm. then he, that does not belong to Steven Spielberg. Right. Rick Baker may, however, not have been able to afford to go up against Steven Spielberg in a right, which is the other which thing. Is all that matters in copyright law and and things like that right. is what you can afford intellectual to pay property. For. Intellectual property so, is what you can afford to protect. That's and, it. Yeah, just yeah. the other day, as a matter of well, maybe a month or so ago, other day, I got That's to see some of the, <laughs> the sketches from what he'd done. Uh huh. And you can see where some of the influence wound up on ET, and some of it right. didn't. And Did he end up doing? E.T.? No, that was Carlo Rambaldi. Carlo Rambaldi, that's right. Who um, Spielberg also kind of took a shot at later on in life when he was able to replace Rambaldi's technology with CGI. When I met you, Uh you hated Steven Spielberg. So we're talking about 19, 18 years ago when we met. That's about how long we've known each other. Um... Yeah, you hated Steven Spielberg. I, I, and yeah, I think your feelings on him have softened. I mean, it's been right. twenty years, so it's twenty more years of history that he's been right. producing and talking and saying and apologizing or not for yeah. certain things. But Steven Spielberg and George Lucas are, and, and then latter day, I would say Quentin Tarantino mm-hmm. also falls into this group, right? And James Cameron. And James, absolutely, one hundred percent, James Cameron. Just, well, let me finish what right, I was going to say. To see, and we'll, we'll right. probably add more to this list. But what I was specifically what I was going to mm-hmm. say was, these are white men, right, who borrow slash steal uh-huh. slash quote pay homage to. A bunch of other filmmakers from all around the world and then act like they came up with everything, invented everything, and um, should be lauded for all of, you know, the success that they have and that people who emulate them have, even though they are emulating others with... and, And Spielberg, Cameron... Um, I don't know if this is true of George Lucas, but it probably is. These are also people who do a little bit of Trumpian nonsense with hiring people and then yes. refusing to acknowledge these people and pay them appropriately for their There's work. A, I mean, the what broke my heart was when E.T. was first released, Carlo Rambaldi was this genius, right? And Spielberg is in Time Magazine praising his work. And when As the he should. film got re-released and they replaced all of Rambaldi's work with CGI. CGI, yeah. There's a group photograph of all of the staff together and Rambaldi's at the end. 
uh, of the group photograph, and Spielberg on the Today Show goes, well, here's all the cast and a technician. He wouldn't that even is, give yeah, his name. And I was like, that's oh. Gross, because guess what? You know what you are, Steven Spielberg? You're yeah. a fucking technician. Right. That's literally what you are. Right. But it's just, So to it's, say that like a, like a slur right. almost. But it's almost as if he's so concerned about being out of date or not being considered relevant that he's going to do all sorts yeah. of strange things. The same way that George and Lucas redid a bunch of stuff in Star yes, Wars. Yes, of course. Right. Um, and always says, I knew the whole story. No, right. the fu- no, you didn't. You had siblings kissing, so let's think about your choices here. Right. And like, when I was a kid, I was really uh, entranced by Star Wars, and then I saw Kurosawa's, Kurosawa's film, film, The Hidden Fortress, which yeah. is, and I showed it to a friend of mine at work, and he's like, damn, this yeah. is... This it's, is so much better, it's, right? It's, it's fantastic. You showed it to me, right. too. And I'm I'm not a Star Wars person. I've never right. been a Star Wars person. I'm more a Star Wars person now than I right. certainly was when I was a kid. Excuse me. Um, I never watched them when I was yeah. little. And, and Star Wars, whether people want to believe this or not, the original trilogy at the very least, those are children's movies. Yeah. Those are movies made for kids. Yeah. I didn't see them until I was in my 20s. I was It was too late. I never went to Disneyland when I was a kid. I didn't like it. Yeah. It wasn't for me anymore. So now I watch things that are in Star Wars themed and Star Wars, but it's not. it holds no nostalgia. It holds no importance for me. Tell me a cool story that I haven't seen before. That's well, what I want. Mm-hmm. Um, but... The Hidden Fortress, like, going into it, I knew Lucas had based this on. But the number and even to the smallest details that were just wholesale just brought over, it's startling to see. (laughs) It's just like, does nobody know about this? What's also difficult is that... And Kurosawa is not an unheard of No, name. he's not. That's the thing. It's yeah. not like he saw some, you know, some mm. genius upstarts student film right. and took that as his own. Well, Kurosawa is like James one Cameron of the watched an episode of of uh, Outer Limits one night, and he that was the Terminator. Oh, interesting. And he also took the climax and from uh, Westworld. Yes, if you remember right. the whole climax yes, where you can't right. kill where this guy. Your runners, yeah. yeah, and it's just, just going and going. Oh, I've going. seen these two things run together, you know, and it's. But here's the thing, uh-huh. though. I don't have a problem with that. Mm-hmm. I have a problem with it came solely from me, right. and I am a genius for for bestowing it upon you. Right. That's where my problem lies. Yeah. Say I was inspired by all of these things, and I wanted to put my own twist on it. Yeah, you know, I wanted to do a Kurosawa film in space or right. a Western in space. That's what I thought I would I would do, and that's what I did. And I hope you like it, and I hope he likes it. And thank you for your for your inspiration. Right. But that's not what we get. No, although but yet it came to me whole cloth in a dream. What we did, and it's like. What we yeah, did get. Yeah, because you fell asleep watching a movie that you liked. Right. It's like, what we did get that was an actual interesting admission from George Lucas is that when Kurosawa couldn't make a film in Japan because of his reputation, he took sometimes two years to make a movie in 
because he right yeah. he was so attention to detail he was very detail oriented yes uh, George I mean, Lucas show, financed him see this is that this is what this I want right. to hear especially from a billionaire right. because he realized Chris Howard shouldn't have to worry about financing forever right. because you have a billion dollars because he made a yeah. movie that you admired yeah like so yeah I saw that sort of from George Lucas and Lucas also stopped making directing after a while. Yes. And he wasn't great. Well, Direction he, yeah. is not his strong suit. Well, that was Being one of the filmmaker. One of the funniest stories I heard was Harrison Ford and Mark Hamill talking about how they threatened at one point to tie George Lucas up and read in his own dialogue as torture. Yeah, that feels right. It's and not good. On Raiders of the Lost Ark. He had Lawrence Kasdan. Yes. You know, the yeah, yeah, Kasdan, yeah. Kasdan. Uh, the Lawrence Kasdan, whose film we, you know, whose yeah. entree into the film we saw a few weeks ago, who's an amazing writer. And he yes. just yeah, went his writing is spectacular. His dialogue is so natural. It it's like he listens. But, right. but it crackles. But it also is, I believe people would say these right. things. He has an ear for it. On, really. the, on the best day of their lives, right. right? Because we don't get to say what we want to say when we want to say it, usually. But, um, yeah, his yeah, dialogue is so, so good. Lawrence Kasdan was writing the screenplay, and he and Harrison Ford... Like, like every day would do the next day's well, They would stuff, start right? doing the next... And he, George Lucas was so focused on... And Spielberg as well. was On uh, the on, look. on how the film looked. And carrying off the next gag and everything else that they either weren't paying attention or they... They just didn't care. It was didn't, That was not what was important right. to them. And I think that's changed with Spielberg as yes. he's gotten older, mm -hmm. certainly. Because he was very... I mean, a very... I wasn't a child. No. He was in his 30s. He was very... Point, no, right? he started earlier than that. He's no, just, no, no. When he, what, oh, when we're yeah. talking about the time period, we're the early 80s. Right. The time period we're talking about. He's he probably... I think he's my dad's age. So mm. I think he was born in like 55, 56. Um. So on this movie, he would have been mid twenties, fifty six, sixty six. Yeah. Yep. Yep. What I said. Is that right? I'm, I'm looking it up right now. There you are. Yeah, because I didn't. Uh, that's I have so many tabs open. Nineteen forty six. Yeah. Forty six. So he's even older than that. So he's mm -hmm. he's in his mid thirties at this point. Yes. Um, which makes sense because he's got enough pull to get Toby Hooper right. the job. He got enough pull to get the PG thirteen rating put into place. Yep. Well, I just think it's that's the last thing I want to say about Spielberg uh, and Lucas specifically as filmmakers. Right. They invented the summer blockbuster. Right. right? Jaws is mm. Jaws is ostensibly the first one, but we're the summer blockbuster and the PG thirteen rating are right, because the of them. Certainly. And now for them to be complaining about the Marvel movies, yeah, that's kind is of disingenuous. Being rich, like hey, if you were thirty five right now, this is what you'd be making. Yeah. But you're in your 70s, so you don't want to do that. And that's fine. Well, you already did. You did it already. <laughs> my thing, I think that with Spielberg, what kind of softened me up a little bit was Jurassic Park, in a way. The very first film, because there were so many homages to Harryhausen. Yes. He invited Harryhausen to go see the yes. production of the film. He in a respectful homages, right. not thanks for uh, that. I'm going to steal it. <laughs> right. And 
he uh, and then after that, some of the stuff he's produced since then. See, his mid forties. Right. He hit his mid forties, and, and he was like, "Oh, a, I'm not going to live forever." Right. B, at this point, I'm sure there are young filmmakers looking up to him, right. and he's seeing what they're producing, and he realizes that they are him, mm-hmm. and he didn't do it on his own. Right. Right? And you he still see he, that parallel. He still did things that really irritated me, I but mean, at the, the same time, it's like, well, it, this is not, I have to, don't he's take a it rich personal. white man. Right? He's yeah, it's not, it's not directed toward you. me. Like his remake of The Haunting was like, what the? And that was another one where yeah. he he was making Jurassic Park. He's sitting in a hotel during a, a like a monsoon or a storm. He's so the wrong person to do a remake of The Haunting. Right. And so he he's there. You, Robert with, Wise, you are not right. So he's there <laughs> with um in in a hotel room with Jeff Goldblum and a couple of Laura Dern, I think. And he's just making up this ghost story as he goes along, and that winds up. He approaches, he had an association briefly with Stephen King. Yes. To make The Haunting, or to make uh, Rose Red, as a matter of fact. Rose Red, yeah, that makes and sense. And then they split think, company, and he oh, wound up making The Haunting, and Spiel, uh, uh, King wound up making Rose Red. He didn't, I thought he was a, P, uh, a producer on that one, but he I guess He might not. have, I, you know, I don't remember. He may have had a producer right. credit, because he may have already invested some, and mm-hmm. I don't think they left on bad. No, no, I don't think they did. You don't go up against, uh, neither of them, both of them know not to go up against the other in that, in the fields that they are in, right? Like, that's like when, uh, it it makes no sense. Be on the same team. When Chuck Norris was asked, did you ever actually fight Bruce Lee? And he's like, I was the world champion and he was a badass. None of us wanted to go there. It's like, we're fine. We're cool. Yeah, I don't need my, (laughs) my, my title. Right. In jeopardy, and I don't need yeah, and, this, yeah, and this guy's reputation, right? Need, yeah, no, he, his no. reputation is at a peak right now. So it's like, yeah, the two of us, we always got along because it's like we didn't ever want to go there. And and they weren't they. It's not like they were you know right. in both in the WWE or whatever right. a version of that, yeah. right? But I mean, where, it, where they would have to, right? Um, they they just it was one of those things where it's like no, no, we respected each other enough to where it's like no. No, we, we don't ever have to find that right. out. And Bruce Lee was a martial artist, but he was also an actor. Right. So, like, and I would argue that mm. Chuck Norris was a martial artist who could act right. sometimes, but he was, he's not. Yeah, he, he really has to be pushed. And then he does something like Code of Silence, which is a really good performance. Right, right. But that's not. Yeah, that's not what he does. That's, that's not, he. that's his mm. secondary. Yes. <laughs> that's his. And also, but Bruce Lee was both things. Right. So he had so much going for him. But anyhow, okay. So going back to Spielberg. Spielberg and this movie. And this movie. He was not contractually allowed to direct another film while doing E.T. Right. So he does this one. Or he does a bunch of the pre Well, a lot of a movie can be changed in the editing process. After of course. That. That's the other thing is right. Toby Hooper left when the, when the cameras turned off. Right. And was not involved in the edit. Uh, I there are a lot of directors for whom that is true, and they usually get a final mm-hmm. say or whatever. But um, a lot of them trust the editor that they've been working with forever, and right. that's they know. Yeah. There you go. You have the vision. I have the vision. And we have. I the think vision. in this case, the suggestion is that unlike, well, there's some quotes from Toby Hooper that suggest something like. The relationship between Christian Ivey and Howard Hawks on a thing. Oh, I'm sorry. I um, I misspoke. 
mm-hmm. according to the production notes in Wikipedia. Cooper did spend 10 weeks in the edited, editing room compiling the first cut of the film, yeah. which is not what we watched. No. That's that's the thing. So, yeah, and that's so when I was reading about the film or trying to do some research on it, I found out there's conflicting stories about everything from who designed the storyboards to who was doing the directing to everything. But it was a lot of times apparently very much like Toby Hooper was frustrated with the amount of interference that Steven Spielberg was giving. Yeah. And that results at times in these tone shifts in the movie. Yes. Where it's it's very much like you're watching this sort of family drama, and then it just jumps into, and now we're in a but neutral fun house. I like that. Here's mm-hmm. the thing. I like that. Okay, so let's... But, yeah, maybe we should start with Let's talk about the, the movie. Let's, right. let's start with the movie. Um, so I I would argue, and, mm-hmm. and you said that you'd heard a... a an interview maybe with Craig T. Nelson uh-huh. about it being a fa- a love story. Right. The, the movie yes. being a love story. Um, this is a horror movie, but really it's only a horror movie for about 15 of its minutes. Right. The rest of it is about uh-huh. a family. Right. And I got that sense now watching this movie this time. Yeah. Which I didn't before. Really? That's interesting because it's the yeah. first thing I picked up. Yeah. Guys, this is my favorite on screen husband and wife. I think right. maybe in all of cinema. That's so sweet. I love them so much. Yeah. We'll start let's start with Joe Beth Williams, right. who has first credit. She has yeah, she does. first billing in this film for good reason. She plays Diane Freeling. She is married to Craig T. Nelson who you may know as Coach. I don't, because I never watched Coach. I know him as the parent, the dad on Parenthood, the TV show. That's how I was introduced to him. Um, and his name is Steve. We've got Steve and Diane. They are the best. Yeah, she hadn't done that much before, but she's really, she is, how can I say this? Gorgeous. She she's, really she's is gorgeous. See, she's beautiful now. Right. She was stunning in this. She, yeah, and so she, she but is, not in a way that's like this woman does not live in. That's right. the other thing. This whole family, I believe, I believe these people yes. are and people. I, I mentioned that at the time, although I was wrong about what he did, what his athletic pursuit was. He was a diver yes. character. I said, "There's the football, football coach and the, and the, and the cheerleader. head cheerleader," because yeah. she does actually do a cheer. Yes, he was a diver. Right. She probably was a cheer cheerleader, and we do hear that she's 32, and their mm. oldest daughter is 16. Yes, which means they are not just high school sweethearts, but they started their life very early. Right. <laughs> she would have had that baby in school, right? Or maybe just as she graduated, yeah. but. That'd be a squeaker. She probably had that baby in school. Um, and uh, they live in Cuesta Verde, California. Most of this movie was filmed in Simi Valley. Ugh, yeah. <laughs> uh, but they are supposed to live in the fictional housing development of Cuesta Verde, um, California, planned community. Uh, the husband, Stephen, is a, he works. He, for the company that developed the development. 
And he's, he's their number one salesman. A, yeah, he's listed as a real estate developer. He works for a real estate developer, but w- at the beginning, at the very least, mm-hmm. we see him in he's sales, a sales mode. He's yeah. a salesperson. He sell, but he's also not just a salesperson. He's sold like seventy nine percent of the development. Like he is the reason that this company is successful. And period. I think it's possibly what the suggestion is is that the guy doesn't have. He's decent. He is decent. And he comes across very honest. Yes. And so he people trust him. They buy these houses, which is what leads to the shock later on when he finds out he's yes. actually deceived everyone. Yes, exactly. Inadvertently. So they live together mm-hmm. with their three kids. The three kids are Dana, mm-hmm. played by Dominique Dunn, uh. daughter of Dominic Dunn, right. American writer, and murder victim because Dominique Dunn was killed right before this movie was released Uh right no it was after it was after this movie came out in June she was killed in October of that year Um, she was strangled on the street in front of our apartment by her ex-boyfriend who was given six years for voluntary manslaughter but only served three Which is... Obscene. Yes, obscene. Uh, But, so, she was in this. She was in a couple of other series as well. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, She was on Chips until she died. That was her job Mm -hmm. um, at the time of her death. And um, in this, she's playing significantly younger. She's playing 16. She was 21, probably, when they were... She looks 16, though. She does. Yes. Yes, she does. Although, I think everybody looked younger... Right. 40 years ago. We certainly weren't putting makeup on eight-year-olds, so that helps. Um, and Dana is probably... Oh, she's the, definitely the character we see the least mm-hmm. in this Yeah, because she movie. just takes off and it's like, yeah, no, and I'm not the doing other thing, the, uh, Another thing I really like about this family, and we'll get... We'll, I'll, I'll keep coming back to the family right. because, like I said, they're my, like, my favorite part of this. Um, and I think the the only like the reason that it works, uh, everybody, every member of this family deals with what's happening differently. Yeah. I believe all of them, but they are different. And Dana, if nothing's actively going on, she's totally fine. Like nothing's happened. And if something is going on, she is losing her GD mind. She is right. a screaming mess who cannot. Hold it together for any length of time. And that, that was actually her. really and, interesting. And you know what? At sixteen, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. And I and I know sixteen year olds, and I might have been a sixteen year old that behaved, that functioned very much like this, mm-hmm. where it was, you just basically it's a real big code switch where you just block out anything terrible that's happening when you're having your day, when you're going on mm-hmm. whatever experiences that you're having. But as soon as you're re sort of acquainted with with whatever those terrible things are, you just lose your mind in one way or another. And hers is literally just becoming a screaming, squealing mess. So that's Dana. Dominique Dunn, rest in peace. Uh, Then we've got the Littles. And one of them is Robbie, uh, played by Oliver Robbins, who did a lot of acting when he was a kid and then went to film school and then directed like 
500 wow. like short films, technical films, full length features. Wow. Like he wanted to go ahead and work behind the scenes. Okay. Uh, Oliver Robbins is back to acting in some things right. now. Well, like, I, I don't doubt it. He spends most of this movie, the end of the film, covered in slime and oh, screaming. Yeah. So it's like, yeah, what is the end? It's, what is, it's <laughs> Oliver Robbins and right. his two fronties, which right. are he, the only ones he's got going on, and they are protuberance (laughs) they are assertive and uh robbie is the only surviving child of the poltergeist family which is also terrible and then finally we have carol ann carol ann (laughs) carol ann is played by heather o'rourke a beatifically beautiful blonde Mm. Angel baby. <laughs> we were saying I was saying when we were watching this that her face is so round and smooth that she looks like a doll. Right. Like there's not even there's no line, there's no wrinkle. It's just this yeah. perfect moon face that this little baby has and her perfectly straight blonde bangs coming down. Um I think with very little adjustment she could have been in, you know, she, Village of the Damned. As oh, well. 100%. It's like, oh, she could be one of those kids. 100%. And she also was in Chips, and she uh, was up for an Emmy for her role in Webster. Uh-huh. Um, she was in the New Leave it to Beaver. She was in Our House. Um, and then she was in all three of the original Poltergeist movies. But unfortunately, before that third one came out, she also died uh-huh. of a congenital bowel defect oh yeah that's a horrible way to go she at the age of 12 had Uh, two cardiac arrests and went into septic shock uh, because she had a constriction in her bowel that was congenital that they didn't know about and then it became a problem and then it killed her um and the, the the third one of the trilogy came out four months after she died. Right. Now I remember that the fact and that And the studio I right. think legitimately from from all accounts didn't know what to do because they yeah. did not want to capitalize on the death of this 12 she was a baby. Right. I remember that at the time that uh watching Siskel and was it Siskel and Ebert at the time? I could it could have been we were doing a review of this film going so this, certainly they it's were not the third film in the series was not great. No, and it was not well liked. And it right. only made this the Poltergeist, the movie we're talking about mm-hmm. now, was made for ten million dollars and made a hundred and twenty-one million at the box right. office. That third one cost more than twenty million and made nineteen. It didn't. Right. They were upside down on it, it was before like, the star of the film. Right. It was attracting died morbid a curiosity tragic, or something, yeah. and that was something that the reviewers at the time. The, when I saw them on television, what they were addressing was, I don't think you should have released this. It's not a great film for her to go out on. For it's her to not, go out on, yeah. And it doesn't have... It doesn't help the, the, the it, franchise the, the at story, all. Yeah, the story... Right. Um, so the second one has this core family minus mm. Dana because she right. is passed at that point um, and takes place a year after the original, you right. know, the events of this film. The third one... The only people to come back mm. are Heather O'Rourke and Zelda Rubinstein. Right. Uh, she goes to live with her aunt, uncle and aunt, mm. and that is what what is happening. So you right. don't even have the family dynamic in it. Yeah, it it 
I think if it had been three years later in the early 90s, that would have been a VHS release. It would have been a straight-to-video. That wasn't really an option in 1998. And it probably, maybe not even 91. That feels like there was Blockbuster and and them were around by then. Yeah. I feel like if it had, or even 1990, they would have just done a straight-to-video release and it probably would have had a significant cult following. But... Yeah, as it was, it didn't, it it didn't was go really over well. Idea. So that is our family. Carol Ann and Robbie and Dana and their parents, Diane and Steve. And 92, 93% of this film is just those four people or five, five people. And then the, the, the parapsychologists right. that they bring in, but that's basically it. This movie takes place in this house. Yeah. It's, that's it. <laughs> that's basically it, which is one of the reasons that it could be fairly cheap to film, even though there are some very impressive effects in here mm-hmm. that were done by ILM and just right. light magic. Um, okay. So, We've met our family. Uh, we start with huh, if you <laughs> if you're younger than me, if you're maybe less than thirty, mm-hmm. you might not understand how this movie opens <laughs> because this movie opens on the static that would happen after cable turned off for right. the night, which. Doesn't happen anymore. There's two things in the very beginning that were like, oh, that's like, uh, that takes me back. One of which was the remote control battle that they have, where someone's remote control is close enough to activate. Yeah, they're on the same wavelength. And so if you click up on your uh, remote, Mm -hmm. both TVs change. Right. Which is wild. And then, yeah, it's that, and that then, white static. I have tried to talk to my coworkers about this, and they're like, what, what are you talking about? about? Like, no, there was a time when TV shut off. TV was done. Right. We, just... we finished for our day. Usually it was midnight. Right. They'd play the national anthem or some nonsense. Right. And then... And you see that in this film. There's yep. a, they, they play the national anthem. They do that weird kind of fade and then, out. Right. All the way up until, what, like 5 a.m.? Yeah. When the news would come because up. Because the FCC licensed you to broadcast between these hours. Yeah. And uh, and you, they would do that. They would read at the end of the day. They would also, or in the beginning, would read you this kind of notice from the FCC. The FCC has told, you know, KICU TV or whatever it was locally. Yeah. Uh, Opens for a broadcast day. We broadcast between these hours, yeah. blah, blah, blah. And uh, they probably also had a thing about the yeah. news because at that point, if you had a broadcast network, you had to put on something like two hours per day of right. unadvertised news. Like you couldn't have advertising. Yes, you couldn't have news. You also had to, depending on where you were in the country, have local programming, shows about your community. Oh, yeah, like community. Canada does. Yeah. Canada has that where every channel has to have a certain yeah. amount of Canadian Yeah programming um that's really interesting we've let all that go to hell because corporations Mm. get to decide everything which is a pity because i really did like i mean now we're trying to even do without pbs but yeah i really liked the idea of this was a television program that was made at the old ktvu studios in jack london square and i could pass that and know just be like they're making that inside there right so yeah that's why how we got julia child yeah 
That is Louise, Louise she was syndicated out of Boston, but that was a local right. show. Now, it's Food Network is there's no locality to it yeah. anymore. All right, so Carolyn is a somnambulist. She is a sleepwalker, mm-hmm. uh, just as her mother is. We find out later. Uh, but Carolyn uh, sleepwalks in and is talking to the television. We only see, ksh, but right. she's talking to it. Um, and then this happens again the next day after the after the right. remote control war. Um, Which is very funny, by the way. <laughs> yes. So we see sort of how the family interacts. The uh-huh. next the next day, I believe, is probably Sunday. Uh, Steve has friends over watching a football game. Um, that's when their battle happens because they change the channel to and some kids Mr. show, Rogers yeah, or whatever. And then there's a fight right. between the two people, and they're pointing. Like, <laughs> they're just pointing out each other's windows. It's uh, we also find out that currently the, the uh, family is having the back of their um, th- their yard being is being dug up right. to put a pool in. And this, there's a, some um, concern about that. Uh, on, Especially with Caroline. Yes, on a diet's part that and... she's going to wander out and fall into the pool, which they, they talk about this Sunday night. I'm mm-hmm. going to say it's Sunday night. I'm going to say the first day was we, we close on a Saturday night, Sunday night um, after the kids are in bed. This is like my favorite scene. After the kids are in bed, we see Joe Beth Williams. She's dancing around the house. She's wearing her fucking just a t-shirt and her mm-hmm. panties. She's smoking a joint. Uh, her husband's like reading a book at the edge of the bed and trying to roll a joint and then like chucks it back to her and he's like, you do this. And right. then she's rolling this joint for him and they're just talking. They're just talking. Right. It's such a nice... I'm just like, I want to have this relationship. Like, the the kids are well behaved, yeah. but they're not perfect. Um, they clearly get along still. They still have fun with each other. Like right. um, he does, Steve does end up smoking a little, and then he's doing a a Donald Duck impersonation and to make her laugh. Right, and it's just it's really. It felt like it's there's a, a couple of times when you see a family portrayed on, in the movies, and you go, that could be them. And I remember, yeah. Watching Silver Bullet, yes, yes. Where Corey, uh, Corey Haim and Megan follows really at, the after way that they the interacted. First scene, they really interacted yeah. like a brother and sister. Like a brother and sister, yeah. And so it's the same yeah, sort I'm of like, thing. This, as yeah, they're, they're ta- so they're 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 doing this uh, at the time illicit mm. activity, but right. I was familiar with it because my parents smoked weed. Yeah. So like that was instantly like, oh yeah, that's what parents do, right? Which. It's a weird thing because I think I'm probably in the minority of people who would have seen this mm. um, and thought that, but right. I, I definitely did. So that like brought a weird level of um, connectivity. Mm-hmm. But then they're having like a real legit conversation about the safety of their kids, right. and they're joking with each other. Yeah. It's like it's like a it's like a conversation you have with a friend or a significant other. Right. It felt really lived in, and I really. And, and that basis we need for what this family is going to go through. Yeah, we need them to be solid because we're about to put them through literal hell. And I feel like... Actual, like, hell. We haven't... I don't think we, we've gone step-by-step step on the uh, the movie Insidious. Uh-huh. 
But I feel like that family relationship is like literally the opposite. That mm. husband and wife, the way that Patrick Wilson right. acts in that movie is like literally like he watched this and was like, everything he does, I'm going to not do. Right. And, and I, I think that's what I and, and you are just like this relationship is not going to last. In this one, I'm like, oh right. no, they're going to get it. They're going to get through it. They're going to get. Through it. I loaned Insidious to a coworker when I was at Walden Pond, and she returned it because she could not get past the scene that bothered you the most and bothered where he's me. He's sitting at work. Where he's he's at sitting or, at work. Or else, yeah, knowing, knowing that his house is haunted yeah. and he just and can't he just bring himself go. to go back. Yeah. yeah. And it's she's like, I can't, I can't deal with this guy. That's what he yeah. did to his wife and his kids. Yes, he left them there, and yeah. it doesn't matter that it's, you, it made me respect uh, Patrick Wilson as an actor, right? But I hated that character. Yeah, yeah. and I and I like the touches in that one. Like you see him, I don't think it's vain to take care of your skin, but right. you don't typically see a man in a in a relationship yeah. like putting eye cream on before going to bed, which they do show in the. Yeah. In that movie, and it is it gives you a sense of like the egocentrism of that character, yeah. where I know I'm supposed to step up and be the husband, but right now I'm just going to take care of me. Like, and on that's top of that, yeah, it, it fits. I like it when a story is that well written because in that yeah. particular case, he has a mom who dotes on him, yeah, and has done all these steps to apparently take care of him because you find out yes, later on course, that yeah. this has happened to him since his childhood, yes. and she's trying to get him away from it. Um, in this case, I feel like I I can identify more with these characters because they are like people I know. But yeah, and keep in mind, mm. this man stepped up right. when his girlfriend in high school got right. pregnant. He could have noped the fuck up out of there right. because thousands do it every year. But I, that also speaks to the relationship exactly. that they have. Exactly. Right. This is um, just, the, and they don't talk right. about. Oh, it was so hard. We were like, there's never none. Yeah. There's none of that. But we do know Dana's sixteen, right? And Diane is thirty-two, and everybody can do that math. That right. math's not hard. So, um, so they end up going to sleep, and there's mm-hmm. a storm, and the kids come in, and once again, Carol Ann is talking to the TV, and this time. And they sit up and ask her what's going on. She just turns around and goes, they're here. <laughs> and we're doomed. So the next day, we've got just the pol- the poltergeist activity has right. started. And right. how that manifests, I believe, is first in the kitchen where the tables, the, the chair, the chairs at the table are all pushed out yeah she pushes um diane pushes them back in and then they're all back out again and caroline is like i didn't do it and then she goes and does something on the other side of the room and comes back and they're stand they're all stacked up right on the top of the table and caroline is four Caroline is not doing even, this. No, she can't lift that chair, much less stack it on top of each other like that. And then we kind of fast forward to the end of that day. Oh, we see this is when we see Stephen out mm-hmm. doing a sales pitch, right? Selling this family this house, selling a family a house, um, telling him I live right down there. You know, but in another year, you're not even going to be able to tell the originals from the lived in. Yeah. You know, it's all going to be families lived in and, and, and it's going to be a community. And he sells them on it. And then he walks home and 
Diane's been uh, experimenting, <laughs> and Carol Ann is over it. She's hungry. But um, what's going on now is if you put something, including yourself, uh, on a spot in the kitchen, you will be dragged to a different spot in right. the kitchen. She started with chairs. Right. She had graduated to herself and her child. Um, she puts a little helmet, helmet on Carol Ann, which is very cute. But Carol Ann is like over it. She doesn't want to keep doing it, but she does. Then she's like, what are we going to have for dinner? And I was like, mommy didn't even make dinner today. <laughs> and we'll have Pizza Hut, I think, is the answer. So I was like, yeah, you will. And Stephen doesn't like it. His, his um, is expression a- is really interesting. Mm. Because she sees it as, I loved her introduction to it. Open up your mind to when you were younger and all sorts of possibilities yes. are possible. Blah, 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 blah. Remember what so you were like So this is like then. her flashback yes. to the 60s, almost yeah. like, or the 70s. Yeah. This is what stuff used to be like when we were getting, we were tripping on acid or whatever else whatever we were doing. Whatever it was, right. And he's like, wait, I'm not on acid. This is the real world. The real and world. That, that chair just moved by itself yeah. right towards me, which is, again, this and is... And she says, yeah. you know, she does it herself. And she says it's like, it tickles inside of your rib cage mm-hmm. and then it like convalesce con- like sort of congeals congeals or in the front of you and then pulls you right that's what it feels like and it's i like that scene also because the the moving chair is directly from the enfield poltergeist mm-hmm. story uh which got depicted in a really strange way in the conjuring the second movie mm-hmm. they include that scene but it's actually very famous because it was witnessed by not only the members of that family, but two police officers who were invited by. They just saw this chair moving by itself. Yeah. So, yeah, that was an interesting kind of callback to an actual poltergeist story. Yeah. Then, uh, that night, there's another storm. Mm-hmm. And the tree, the creepy tree outside of... Uh, Robbie and Carol Ann share a room. Diane has her own room. Uh-huh. And then, uh, down the hall, um, Diane and Steve uh, are in the master bedroom. Gonna come up with a new term for master bedroom, by the way. That comes from literal slave master. Like that's where it comes from. So we need a new term. Um the the tree comes through the window. Right. And then there's just water coming in, there's storm coming in, there's a very terrible clown doll that right. does some shenanigans. Um y'all burn that doll. That was a haunted doll if ever there was one. It was terrible. That's, it's like there's two running gags in this bedroom. Uh-huh. And at first I think when I first saw it I was just irritated with how much Star Wars stuff there was in this room because I thought okay but, it's the but, but also, at the same time these kids would totally have their Star Wars they would 100%, stuff. That boy yeah. would have Star Wars stuff all over the mm-hmm. place. So yeah that made perfect sense this viewing. When I'm able to pull away Step from it. Step away from it yeah. But um, but yeah, that that is the ugliest tree I've ever seen in my life. It's heinous. It's completely denuded of any foliage whatsoever. Yeah. It's just it's like just this gnarled. It's just gnarled. Gnarled. All the limbs look like clubs. <laughs> you know, it's really horrible, and it um, it really beats the hell out of the poor kid too. Yes, he pulls it, pulls him through the window, and that is why Diane and Steve go mm-hmm. outside right. to get him. Um, and they're all out there while Caroline is in the be- bedroom still. Right. When in the closet of their bedroom opens, a light comes on, and then all of everything gets sucked into 
Right. including Carol Ann, but we don't know that yet. And then you we're still something. outside when there's a tornado right. coming down, and um, does it, is it Steve or Diane that climbs the tree it's and gets Steve Robbie out of the it? Tree. And he's able to hold on to it, and which is strange because, well, I guess he's really tall, so he's able he to is, shimmy yeah, up the tree. Tall. He's a tall. Um, and then he gets the kid out of there, and then the tree like gets sucked up into the tornado that then takes it to Oz or Narnia or something. Not all of it, because it's still there later. Right. Well, you notice there was a couple of continuity errors that Oh, okay. That is that. And one of them is the fact that Carol Ann is holding onto her bed frame so seriously, her wicker bed, uh, the head of her bed, that it literally rips... Yes, her free. it whips her free and it's all bent down. Right. But later, much it's, later, it's yeah, back. And it's I'm like, why intact. did you replace the bed frame with the same so, bed frame? But that's fine. I, I think that was the kind of thing that happens when you have two people directing Maybe. movie and editing cross-purposes. So um, so that's what happened. Caroline mm-hmm. has pulled away. So the family has Robbie and the storm is sort of chilled right. out a little bit. And then they go and start looking for Caroline, and they can't find her. And they can't find her, and then they can hear through the TV. Yeah, mommy, mommy, where are you? And uh, she's in the she's on the TV now. And uh, Robbie loses it. It's Mike TV. <laughs> yes, right. It's uh, Robbie like starts screaming and freaking out because he doesn't. You know, he's a kid. He's also a kid. He's what, like maybe eleven, twelve. Yeah. In this, and yeah, so it's like Diane is 16, or, or Dana, excuse me, is 16, Robbie's about 12, and Caroline is four or five. And now she's in the TV. And then, this is also a weird part uh-huh. an indeterminate amount of right. time goes by. My guess is five days. Something, yeah. It, when she, when, 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 so we have a parapsychologist, right. Dr. Lesh, come from UC Irvine to the house. Uh, well, they go, they go talk to her and then they come out mm-hmm. to the house. And when we get there, Steve is haggard. Right. He's clearly not leaving the house. He looks like he's dropped 30 pounds maybe mm-hmm. on his frame. Yeah. He's got huge bags under his eyes. He looks like he's aged about five years. Um, Joe Beth, uh, Diane, or Diane is uh, weirdly chipper. Doesn't look doesn't look mm-hmm. the same way, right? Um, not like okay, but like kind of manic almost. Well, manic and crazy. Her, her performance bit. is really good because whereas Craig T. Nelson becomes despondent like he he's the man in the house and he i mean if you'll excuse the old-fashioned expression and he doesn't he can't handle this he can't take care of his family his daughter's lost in his house and in he his can't house and he can't do anything about right, it and it's hopeless. a and it's this paranormal right thing um because it, it's very funny because during the conversation, like uh-huh. the, the the brief conversation that they have off at campus probably and then the conversation they have before they go into the room, right when they get yeah. there, you know, Ryan is one of the, um, he's the black uh, right. helper. So in like Insidious, uh, Dr. Uh, Lesh, played by Beatrice Strait, is the psychologist. And then 
she has two guys, two young men, student mm-hmm. helpers. Ryan is played by Richard Lawson, and Marty is played by Martin Casella. Um, with her, so it's the three of them right. that come with their, you know, various you equipment know, t- 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 and t- t- right. equipments and and uh, microphones and cameras and this and the other. And Ryan is telling the story of a toy car on wheels uh-huh. that moved seven feet in seven hours and he got it all on video it was really incredible and the look on on uh steve's face right. is like i've called the wrong people like right. you're you're not gonna be able to handle this so they're talking about he's like oh, i'll take you up to the room we don't go in anymore mm-hmm. so this is the kids room this is robbie right. and carol Ann's room. robbie has been sleeping with um them right Dana has been staying at friends' houses because she uh, just noped right the fuck out of there. Although she's there for part of the investigation. She is there for part of it. She does right. come, but she doesn't sleep in the house anymore. Right. Um, then you find out later on she she's exploring the fruits of her youth at this point. Well, she was on a date in the last night. Right. Um, on the last uh, day right. that there is. But she's staying with her friend... Mm. Uh, I don't remember what the name of the friend was, but she's staying somewhere else too. Um, they're like, well, how how often do you have experiences in this room? Mm-hmm. Because they don't know what the fuck they're talking mm-hmm. about yet. And they're like, no, we don't go in there anymore. And they're like, oh, okay. And they're, they have literally have no idea. And so Stephen, like, opens the door and stuff. He's also day drinking. He's got a butt in his hand. Right. And it's like 10 a.m. or something. He uh, he opens the door for them and it's just, there's like a swirling vortex of light in the middle mm. of the room. The, all of the toys are flying around the room and talking. Right. Like it's this. Now, and this is interesting because looking at this scene, it really... This scene really informed, I think, Sam Raimi's movies. Maybe. Because the... Which ones? Of the Evil Dead movies in particular, because he does a lot of talking, toys talking to each other, flapping books that are flapping around, because the Necronomicon in, in, in one of the books is actually just sort of flying with wings. And it felt like, oh, this is... The Evil Dead came out in 1981. Oh, okay. So, The Evil Dead 2 came out in 87, so that there, there may have right. been some there. But the first one is mm. actually predates this one. Great Minds. Toys are creepy. Kids' toys are creepy. Well, yeah, but the whole idea of their sped-up voices and things like yeah, that. Yes, yeah. That really maybe, seemed to need to be... Maybe they saw The Evil Dead and said, hey, those Raimi kids got something. He'll direct a Marvel movie someday. Uh... So they close the door, and all of them are like, "Well, we're in a different." Yeah, this is a completely different category of situation, right. right? Which is why there, the, there were the strained answers that the family was giving, right, made make a little more sense because they're like, "No, no, 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 you're talking about two dimensional things, and we're over here." you know, in a four-dimensional situation. So when you catch up, then we can maybe have a conversation, but I can't answer these questions right. the way that they're being posed. And 
Um, then they're drinking uh, coffee. At which point, also, I believe uh, Diane offers some from a flask. The urn moves like it's things are hap- things right. are constantly happening, and they're like looking around and they're taking this in. And uh, Doctor Lush is like, I think this is a poltergeist. It's if it's a poltergeist, it is person specific, not location specific. It's not a haunting. It's not a ghost. It's, it's a not a ghost. It's a poltergeist. Um, and then they then there's extended scenes of them. Mm-hmm experiencing various things the group which witnesses several paranormal episodes they can hear carol ann talking through the uh tv they see spirit a big white spirit come down the steps they hear footsteps and then marty one time goes out and gets some food and the food has brought there's like maggots which is that's a fairly common poltergeist Mm -hmm. um manifestation like in yeah. our world, that is a thing that people will ascribe to poltergeist. The poltergeist and, and the exorcism goes, strangely enough. He goes into the bathroom to wash his hands because uh, he had been touching right. and had oh had bitten into the maggoty like chicken leg, I think it was. Was it a chicken leg? I think it's a chicken leg. Okay. Um, it was a steak for some reason. He had pulled out the stick. That's right. He pulls out the stick and puts it on the counter, and then uh-huh. it's got maggots in it. But he'd already taken a cook. Yeah, it begins to leg. creep too, right? Yeah, it starts. Yeah, yeah, it's, okay. Yeah, and the chicken thigh is what he spits out. And then that, yeah, he spits that out, and then he looks in the mirror, and he basically has a Raiders of the Lost Ark style uh, hallucination where he, he pulls his, his face, face off. off, right? Like down to the skeleton. Yeah, he. In layers of of you know it was like plasticine is probably right. how they did it right, um, and then you know he it, he comes back to himself, and at that point he bails. We see a yeah. we see a conversation between Doctor Lesh and Diane that's like, I'm I'm a professor at the university, right? Like I have to do all my parapsychology stuff off book because nobody believes in this stuff but I'm gonna go because they have like it's the end of the it's probably the following weekend right right? I'm gonna go and I'm gonna bring back somebody who can help I'm taking Marty with me because he's like already like I gotta go and I'm but she leaves Ryan behind at this point Dana is like uh no Dana and Robbie both go away they are not coming back to the house Robbie, uh, Dana stays with friends and then Robbie goes to his grandparents' house to get out of it because this was not safe. Right, it isn't. They've already lost one child and Robbie was in danger of being another. They This thing doesn't seem to want Dana because mm-hmm. she's too old, but the littles are in danger. So then uh, we see Steve go have a conversation with his boss. You get a little backstory. Mm-hmm. Now, his, he's been telling um, everybody that he's got the flu, and that's why he's not he's, he's not going to work. Because uh, he looks like crap and his daughter's missing. So he, uh, he said that he has the flu and Carol Ann has the flu. And his boss takes him up 
up to the top of the hill that overlooks the whole of the development and says, well, what about this front bay window? You could have a whole new mm. house up here. We should have made you a partner however long ago. You're responsible for all of our money. Um, we'd like to make you a partner now because he also, he thinks that Steve's being courted by a competitor right. and is maybe going to leave the, the company. Um, and at the top of this hill, there's a cemetery. And I like how cleverly this was shot to you. You're not aware there's a cemetery nope. because effectively you're in the cemetery as the viewer. Yeah, you are. You're you're looking out over the over vista. The, right. And, and then, then the camera kind of walks around them. And right. And then you suspense with all are. these monuments. Right. Yeah. And he's like, well, that sounds great, but it's already occupied. Right. That's what Steve's um, situation or like response is. And he's like, oh, well, we've are, we're going to relocate them. We just uh, and and he's like, it's not sacrilegious. Like yeah. it's offensive to him right off the rip. Right, exactly. And he's like, um, you know, we just move them five. It's five mi- miles or five minutes down the road. It's not, you know, it, you know, it's not. It's he not really. A, he says. Right. He says it's no great hardship, and we haven't had any complaints. And that's when Steve finds out that they did the same thing for the entirety of the Cuesta Verde right. um, development that they had moved. The, and I'm like, okay, first of all, how did I do not believe that you informed that literally probably hundreds of families, possibly thousands of people, that their loved ones had been moved without their permission or knowledge. And they got no complaints from yeah. Americans. I think I, that, that seems like a lie. <laughs> I um, there's a film I really like from 1960 called Witchcraft. It's an English film, uh-huh. and the whole premise is the modern day descendants of an ancient witch summon her up to get revenge because they've just run over their family plot. These developers, oh yeah, have just run over it. And it's like, well, and there's a lot of argument in the early part of the film about, well, we notified you that we were going to do it, and you wrote a letter of complaint, and we have schedules to maintain, so we just went ahead. And it's like, well, I guess things like that, happen. things like that will happen, right? But to say that no, because right. that's what he says, He's lying to we him. haven't gotten any complaints. No, yeah. I'm sorry, you can't do anything in America without getting a complaint. That's not how this place works. And certainly not moving the bodies of a loved one. Are you kidding me? People complain. Um, but, uh, and and he makes a joke. You know, this is a modern cemetery. It's not like it's an ancient burial ground right. or anything like that. Which I guess kind of puts him, puts Steve at ease, but yeah, maybe not. Um Dead people can be really touchy, I think. Yeah, well, they don't have much to, right. you know, it's it, it's their location. It's basically all they have to say over anyway. So uh, then we have the return of the parapsychologist. Dr. Mm-hmm. Lesh does come back. Um, does Marty come back or is Marty I out? That Marty's, no, Marty's a part of it there because okay. they do the trick with throwing the, the uh, tennis balls. That's, right. That's right. Um, so Marty's taken some out of van and has calmed down, mm-hmm. and they, they wait, bring wait, back. Is it Marty? I'm sorry. 
I know just, Ryan's been there. The yeah, no, I don't think Marty does Marty come back. Marty doesn't come They bring the medium. Tangina Barons. Tangina? I have Tangi, it's gotta be Tangina. I have no idea. She is It's play she's played by Sandra Rubenstein, who is the most distinctive person, one of the most distinctive people to ever grace the silver screen. I think so. She is literally she's tiny. She's very small. Uh-huh. She's got the most distinctive voice. She always I I don't think she's an actual little person. Uh-huh. She's um, just very little. I think she's just small. She's not a little person. She's a tiny person. Okay. I don't. She's very funny, and that drawl. I don't know if that's her actual voice. That is. I want to look her up real quick. I with a name like Zelda Rubenstein, it doesn't seem like it should be. Right. That might have been a little anti-Semitic. What I just said. She was born in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Oh no, she was in fact a little person. She uh she was on picket fences for a couple of years. And uh she also did a lot of activism for both little people and uh HIV AIDS um activism. She went to Cal Berkeley. She went to uh here and worked as a medical lab technician at Blood Banks. until 1978, and she also studied acting here, and this was her first film role. She gives a really distinctive performance, and... She she comes in, right. like... So, 1933, she was in her late 40s, mm-hmm. and this is her first film role. Yeah. I love that. Well, I mean, the one that I always thought was inspiring was Richard Farnsworth. Oh, yes. He'd been a stuntman his entire life, and then yeah. somebody just looked at his damn face and goes, my God, it's like a roadmap. It's full with all sorts of details. Yeah, and then they made him say one line, and they right. were like, I believe everything. Right, exactly. You are so, incredible. Please be in my movies. <laughs> um, so so she uh, she comes in. And the movie really just—it's hers now. And then it's hers. Right. Yeah, we are. There is an expedition, exp, expedition, exposition dump, uh-huh. as the medium will always do in a thing like right. this. I call it the further. You know what I'm talking right, about. Right. Exactly. Uh, really, I we might need to watch Insidious again. Apparently, it's just like in my head. And she says, you know, care. Uh, she, previously it was don't t- like Caroline tell her not to go to, towards the light she shouldn't go towards the light because uh, the light was indicated to be the crossing over and if she went towards the light then she'd be like dead dead right. instead of just whatever in whatever weird limbo she's in now uh, they find that some stuff comes out sometimes stuff just appears through the ceiling in their living room yeah, just and drops out. So, so the medium Zelda. I'm going to call her Zelda. I know her name is Tangina in the movie. It's, Tangina her, seems her like such a weird name is Zelda. It's so much. Right. It's all I need. So I'm going to call her that. Um, she says um, that Caroline is alive and in this house, and that the spirits here are 
don't know that they're dead. And they are gathering around Carol Ann because she is alive, and that's all they want is life. Because they don't even know they don't have it. They just are craving this thing. You know, like when you really want something salty because you don't have salt in your body. It's like that. Um, and also, oh, and because Caroline was born in the house, she was born, she was mm. physically born in the house. Mm. She's got the strongest connection to it. She, um, her life force is as bright as the light that these life forms would want to go to. Right. And so she's collecting them. And then also there's a, another creature that she calls it the beast mm -hmm. uh, that is also sort of feeding off of her. Right. And um, Carol Ann doesn't see it as a beast, though. She She's sees it as another child, child. Which I really wish I could have seen, but I don't understand. Me too, but I really, mm -hmm. even the way she tells it, you get it. Right. You're like, oh no, you in danger, girl, but you don't know it because right. it looks like a little kid, but it's this monster that's hiding in plain sight. As We don't even know what Caroline can see, right? right. Like, and so they figure out by throwing tennis balls into the closet mm -hmm. once they're able to battle their way into the room because that was the other thing. There was times when they couldn't even get into right. the room, and now they can get into the room. So they're in the room. They throw a tennis ball with a number drawn on it into the closet, and it comes out in the downstairs. Right. It's kind of expectorated by the ceiling onto, like, covered in ectoplasm. Covered in ectoplasm, really which is this, it looks like uh, what a baby has on it when it right. comes out. It's a little pinker than that, I think, to avoid it looking too bloody. Right. Um, but it is like a pink gelatin. Right. They had to fight to get a PG rating for this film. They and got a PG they rating? They got a PG rating. It was an R rating. This movie is scary. I well, don't PG see. There well, wasn't a PG there's like the, yet, right? You know, that whole scene with the guy pulling off his face. Yes. Uh, it had to be cut. There was a lot, It went on for a while. And then yes. they were like, no, 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 no. And there's no. a version where it just, um, I think it goes from one to the other. Yeah. Like it just had, like he just flashes in the mirror rather mm -hmm. than having it go through the whole okay. experience. Um, so, what the plan is, is Zelda is going to tie the rope around her, a live person, so uh -huh. her, who's, she's going to go in and get Carol Ann, grab her, and then get pulled back. Right. That's the point. That's the, the, the uh, plan. And Diane immediately is like, let me go. Right. She won't go to you. Yeah. I'm her mother. I need to go. And Zelda looks at her and goes, you've never done this before. And Diane looks at her and goes, neither have you. And there is a two-second beat where Zelda goes, yep, you're right. Tie her up. She's funny. <laughs> her character is really... There's no posturing. It's right. like, she makes a very valid point. And right. I am a stranger to this child. Yes. If we <laughs> have one chance for this, yeah, let's not There's fuck a, it up. There's a scene earlier where she gets... Steve, yeah, to yell at her, yes. to yell at Carol uh, Ann. She, because she, she says, "Oh, because Carol Ann won't respond." Right. So Diane is yelling just out into the room. Carol Ann, Carol Ann, it's mommy. Carol Ann, talk right. to me. 
And she's like, well, who's the, dis- you know, who's she more afraid, who afraid of? of? Yeah. And he's like, well, that's not fair. Right. Like, and like immediately he's like, I don't hurt my kids. Like immediately yeah. that. I've never thing. hit my kid. I've never hit and you. It's like rarely yes. yelling. And I, they're like, and she's like, it's not, you need to make her listen to you. Right. Put some bass in your voice right. and tell her to answer you. And she does. Which is, I also love the, the part where she tells, uh, she tells, um, I'm sorry, Diane. Yeah. Will you do everything I say, even if it goes against your beliefs as a person and as a Christian? And I'm going, where is she coming from with it? You know, it's right. she hasn't been introduced into that part of their life. No. So it's just, it, it becomes this but interesting... But I think she's like, uh, I, whatever. Right. Whatever. And whatever I'm going to presume, say. given that you live here and you look the way you do, uh, that Christian is your faith. Right, and it, it winds up at some point later on, and we'll discuss that briefly, she she apparently does have some kind of background that she reaches into when she when she has to dig deep. Um, Diane does. Yeah. But yeah, her character is really strange and funny, and I don't know if it was written that way or she's like working with the director and improvising this sort of oddball. Because yeah. I can see both Steven Spielberg and Toby Hooper just going, "Oh, this person's." comedy gold in a lot of ways she does a lot of goofy stuff yeah 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 and just you know putting because that was sort of what they did with their other actors too i mean toby hooper in a funhouse there's a character who's constantly smart mouthing and i found out later on a lot of what they did was just improvising and hooper's like just go with it you're you're doing really good it's better than i could write you're in the moment if you're a good actor you know what your character would say right now yeah go ahead and say it um so they have thrown a ball with the rope attached to it through. So mm-hmm. they've now got the rope on both ends. Uh-huh. So they're going to tie Diane up and and send her into the light. Right. To get Carol Ann, well, Zelda is going to coax the spirits into the actual light right. to move on. And as it's happening, time is going by, time is going by, and Steve kind of panics and pulls a little earlier than maybe they were ready to do, and out of the ceiling comes the beast. Mm-hmm. It's a big roar. Then it goes back up, and then plop, plop. Here comes fizz, fizz. Diane <laughs> with Caroline in her hands. And they look. pick her up, slippery, slippery, and put her in the tub, which wasn't filled with water, which I don't understand. Like, fill that tub with water beforehand. And they are wiping... Wiping, wiping all of the um, the slime off of their faces, right. and Diane wakes up, and then <laughs> this is the cutest part because Heather O'Rourke is five years old <laughs> and trying so hard not yeah, to. Yeah, she's play. trying not to react she's to the fact that she's trying not to react. And this all six foot four of Craig T. Nelson because he's huge is leaning over her, wiping down Joe Beth Lane's and face, she's and like, she's trying really hard not to like. Not to twitch. <laughs> right. Like her little fingers go, and you can just see how hard she's trying to. Right. Like, and like not to laugh. Yeah. And she's got stuff all over her face, and her eyes are like doing this thing where they're just kind of vibrating just a little bit. And I'm just like, you can do it, little <laughs> Do the acting. And she holds it together right. as long as she needs she can, to. And... and then she just very calmly opens her eyes and is like, Daddy. <laughs> I'm just like, hmm. That was a little lackluster. 
but she had a lot of effort going on, right. so I gotta give it to her. But it's, I'm just like watching her, and I'm just like she's trying so hard to be still, and it's hard to do that. Um, and then Zelda says the immortal words of Folly. I declare this house is clean. I loved her sort of like sweeping her hair back. She, yeah, she she's <laughs> putting her bun back up. Yeah, I declare this house is clean. And uh, then then we cut to mm-hmm. them loading up to move. They're going to get the hell out of there, give. right? No, oh, fuck. no, no, no. no. Uh, they look much better. Some time has passed, so uh-huh. they have been staying here. Um and uh, they're checking in with each other, which I really like. Right. So, and then Dana's like, "Hey, I'm gonna go to my friend's house, or I'm gonna go on the subway, uh-huh. go out with Steve, or whatever." I think it wouldn't have been Steve. Steve's her dad's name, although it could be because it's not like there haven't been men named Steve for the last hundred years. Um, she goes and um. Steve says, I just got to wrap up some things. I'm going to go to the office, um, and then I'll be back. We're going to stay at a, ho- a motel tonight. Th- that's where Diane and um, Lord, I forgot her name. Dana? And Dana had that interaction that I thought, this is obviously Dana sowing her wild oats because Diane goes, we're going to stay at the hotel like by yes. the airport. And she's like, oh, the hotel. And then she smiles. She's she like, oh, I know that place. Right. And then she like gets in the car, and Diane's like, "Wait, what? Do you know <laughs> How do you know the hotel?" Right? She's like, "God damn it!" Conversation I'm gonna have to have later. Um, yeah, no, it is a it is a really funny throwaway line. But it was like because the, 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 the look on her face, like, "Oh yeah, we had a great time there." Or something that she's uh, Dana is able to take care of herself. Yeah, she's there's a scene early in the film when Diane's watching these three guys who are digging the swimming pool. Yeah. Oh yeah. Dania, yeah. and they're like hitting and on then her. She walks out. Yeah, Dana walks out, but she walks past them on purpose. Right. She could have gone the other way. Yeah, she could have. And they catcall her, and mm. she flips them off and gives them the, right. the Italian. Right. <laughs> and I thought, and then her mom is like, she's almost like relieved, like, okay, she she has yeah, that. Right. She's she got, her, yeah, right. she's got some spunk to her. Um, the idea is that they're packing up and they're going to leave. They, mm-hmm. um, Dana, on the way out, does say, are you going to do something about your your Green hair? hair right. Because Diane has a streak, like a rogue streak of white in the front of her hair. and uh, I think that's how she distracts her from asking further questions about I the hotel. So, yeah. like. I think she does. And uh, so Steve's going to go to the office, but then they're still going to all pack up right. and, and go. Now it's nighttime at, at this point, uh-huh. um, and she uh, D- Diane is reading the bo- the directions on a box of dyes, so she is going to dye right. her hair before they go. The last thing that this bitch is going to do in this house is dye her hair in that bathtub, which is a power move if ever there was one, because <laughs> she ain't cleaning that shit up. Right. I know she isn't. Um, and she and and Carol Ann and Robbie are in their pajamas already because they're just gonna transport some tired kids to this motel, presumably. And she goes in that because they're snarking with each other because mm-hmm. they're brother and sister and that's what they do. Um, and she's like, "Okay, well, you guys get ready for bed. Um, I'm gonna take yeah. a bath. I need you guys to like 
chill out. We're going to be leaving later. Like, she's telling him all this. But even the snarking with each other, she seems to appreciate. It's just like, oh, thank God they're both they're back. back together, And they're right. being normal. And they're it's being, not like yes, they're freaking out like, about anything. Yeah, they're just sitting in the... I, I'm sorry. Right. Mom and Dad, I'm not going back in that fucking room. Right. I don't care how clean this house is. <laughs> right. uh, and so she gets in the tub. Um, and dyes her hair, comes out of the, the thing, and mm-hmm. she's blow-drying her hair. And then she, like, I think she may go start rolling a thing. Right. I can't remember. Uh, and then she hears Robbie screaming and runs, or, or goes to run towards him mm-hmm. and can't. She is pinned to her bed. She's in bed. Right. She's pinned to her bed, and then she is dragged up the wall and onto the Which is ceiling. a really startling it's and really interesting effect. Fantastic effect. Because you're not expecting it. It doesn't look... I mean, you've seen this room at so many points. Yeah. Yes. And, and we know how, especially then, that effect was done. And so the, the idea that you had a room basically on a huge gimbal that's turning slowly yes. so that she can roll around, yeah. it's done with... It's done without any kind of um, warning. Yeah. You're just watching it going, holy cow, holy what, shit, yeah. what's going on? And she's screaming and trying to get down. Finally, she gets mm-hmm. down. Um, and it, meanwhile, in the room, the closet is opened again. The clown is under the bed and, mm-hmm. has, and has, has Robbie is fighting it, <laughs> which apparently uh-huh. during this scene. Right. Robbie was in literal mortal danger. The doll got wrapped legitimately around oh, his no. neck, and he was struggling to get out of it. At one point, Spielberg even said, he was in the room, he said, you're doing great, keep it up, right. and saw that he was turning blue, at which point he intervened and got the kid free. But the kid was almost yeah. very no, badly injured in that scene this fucking clown where he does that he's finally able to rip that clown up I'm like I, I like, love that wait. scene because it goes on he's just like I hate you I, I hate, hate you, you. I hate and he's literally ripping the stuffing out of it and it just goes on it's, that would, that's a completely normal reaction I love that and then a, the, a, like a big mouth appears mm-hmm. in the closet and is trying to suck both Robbie and right. Carol Carol Ann in Diane is still uh, running to, she she runs down the hallway, but the door is blocked by this skeletal mm-hmm. beast thing coming out of the door. Right. Um, and so she tries to run downstairs to get help from their neighbors because she can't. She doesn't know how to get. She needs help. Yeah. <laughs> so, and um, she slips into the hole that the pool right. is in, which is like just a big muddy mess at this point. Uh, because there's been rain, it's been raining, and uh, as she tries to get up and out of this mud pit that she is in, all these coffins and skeletons start popping up. So, right, which is according to some people the origin of the curse on the film. That it's possible that there are actual human remains that right. are shown in some of these um, images, which I think. There are definitely prop skeletons that are right. human skeletons. Yeah. And I think even now, you could probably leave your skeleton to a prop house. Like, you could leave your body to... Yeah, I don't know. You could will yeah. your, your remains that way. Hmm. That'd be a more... I, that would be awesome, actually. I wonder if that's a thing. Anyways, I'm going to look it up. And 
then her neighbors come out because they're hearing all of the commotion and they try and get her out or they get her out and she, she tries to get them to come into the house and help right. them, and they're looking through the windows, and there's lights yeah, flashing. I love the next-door neighbor, the and wife. And like, what kind of noise is that? Why is that noise going? And she's just, like, so freaked out by the noise and seeing the flashing lights that she's... By the way, this movie, not for people who are photosensitive. Well, yeah, no, you don't, may have, a, don't watch yeah, you this may have an issue. You'll have conniptions. But I just love that reaction. Why is it making that noise? What kind of noise is that? Well... <laughs> It's a noise that means there's two kids in danger. You have to go and help them. And yeah. of course, the neighbors don't. And so she finally gets back into the house. She uh, finds that both of them are um, like being pulled by their bed frames. And she is able to open the door and she grabs Robbie. And then Robbie's trying to grab Carol mm-hmm. Ann. And then she like barrel a monkeys them and right. then pulls them out. Um, at which point. They they run out of the house, and now more and more coffins and bodies are going right. pew, 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 like all over the neighborhood. Right. So why are these other houses haunted? Is it just because Carol Ann was physically yeah, born there? Possibly. Uh, that's the suggestion they give. Um, there's an elaborate elaboration on this in the sequel film. Yeah, and then Steve mm-hmm. and his boss pull up right then. Right. And and. They're seeing what they're what's happening, and Steve's like, "You move the headstones, but you didn't move the bodies." Right. You move the headstones, but you didn't move the bodies. You son of a bitch! <laughs> and he can't he can't answer that because he clearly he that is what exactly. has happened. There's no well, denial. What had happened was like they uh, came back. And like no, no, that's it's not. a really like. The line is silly out of context on its own. Right. The line reading is spectacular. Yes, of course it is. <laughs> um, and then Dana shows up, end of her date, and she just starts freaking out. Right. <laughs> She's just like, no, 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 not again. <laughs> she just starts losing her mind. And then, and she. And they're already in the car. Uh-huh. They're like, get in the car. Right. She's like, freaking She's like, get in the fucking car. And they do. She does get in the car. And then they take off, and the beast gets so mad that it sucks their whole house it literally into a, just like, like a black hole. Right. Right inside of itself. It, like, implodes. Right. And then... Everybody's just looking on, and they, we see them checking into a motel room, like, like, yeah. Um, uh, Diane's carrying Carol Ann. Um, Robbie is just kind of, they, these, these like look a zombie. Like exhausted people. They're like, this, unlocking this, this, the second floor right. motel room. And going in, the door closes, and then about 30 seconds later, the door opens, and the TV on the wheelie cart, right. he rolls it out and leaves it up against the balcony, and then goes back in the room, and it closes the door, and that's the end of the movie. So good. Yeah. It's so good. Was it thrilling? It was thrilling. It, it was thrilling. It was. There's, I mean, I appreciate it more this time, I think, of the three times I've seen it now. Uh-huh. I appreciated it more this time because I understood what was going on and what was the director or directors was aiming at. Yeah. And there are times when I can detect the Steven Spielberg style. Yeah, Notably, sure. the, the scenes where he 
did this a lot in the 80s, these kind of rolling tracking shots into a person's shocked face. And okay. he does that constantly in yeah. the third act of this film. It's cameras constantly rolling into their faces while they look horrified, horrified or about whatever. And yeah. I think well, it's a way that you don't have to show the effect. Right. You can just show the effect of the effect. Well, that's one <laughs> right. of the ways that you do it. But that was like another thing that he used to do to like. Well, his, the effects on this were really good. Right. But and also, I can't look. If I look at it too long, I'm going to see how you did it. So don't right. show it to me and for it's, too long. It, a lot of it, you mentioned it when we were watching it. If um, if the people who did Raiders of the Lost Ark, the special effects work on this film, it's like, yes, that's yes. industrial uh, like in the In the scene where Marty is pulling his face right. off, and I was like, this is the Not just that, but the big ghost face that comes out of the, oh, yeah. the closet, the, the sort of gangly sort of ghost things yeah. look like they were the sort of things that were developed for uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark at the end. Oh, yeah, for the, right. the swoopies. That's right. So um, I only remember the face melting. I've only seen that movie once. Oh my gosh! We're gonna watch it again for this this series. So. Right. So you'll get familiar with it again. But yeah, there's a lot of the Spielberg touches. And as a as a person who writes ghost stories, right? I preferred the kind of quieter, weirder stuff that was going on. Yeah. Because I think that when you sort of like do this, M. R. James said, who the master of the English ghost story. He said that you should try to leave a possible logical explanation somewhere in the story so that if you're a person who's inclined to doubt, you're going, but maybe it could have been this, even if it seems unrealistic. Right. That is not at all what happened here. We're just no, totally going is, for Yeah, no, right. there is no possible explanation. That was the thing. That's yeah. and, and, and explicitly, right? Because the parapsychologists are looking for, even once they've seen all the things that they see in that first, Right, the opening of that bedroom door. They're still like looking for, you know, magnetic right things. They're looking for electrical interference. They're they're still doing the thing. Yeah, at one point, and there's no other explanation other than haunted or poltergeist. At one point, uh, Ryan, Richard Lawson's character, yeah, who I have to say, I'm just really happy that a black man makes it all the way to the end all of the movie. All the way to the end of the movie. All the way to the end. Yep. He survived. God bless him. Mm-hmm. Um, because that was like the whole thing. Yeah. I'll never forget listening to... Because uh, we saw, not too long ago, we also saw Silverado. Uh, the Western that Lawrence Cushton wrote with, you know, all all these stars in it. There's Kevin Costner and... and um, Don, uh, Danny Glover and these other people. Did I actually watch it? I don't think I actually watched, I it. watched it. No, I don't think I actually watched but it. But there's a scene in there where, uh, or rather, when Danny Glover did that movie, he was watching it with some kids. I think his kid or some kids from, well, his kids' friends or something. What? And they, kids, though. Yeah, and they okay. looked at him and go, when are you going to die? Because yeah. they were so invested in his character. It's like, you're going to get killed, right? Because the black people always get black killed in these movies. Always get killed, yeah. And so the thing was, he's like, "No, no, you sure that I'm going to make it all the way through?" He's like, and they're telling him, "All the way through, all you're going to make it through? to the end." <laughs> it's like that's awesome and, and also a shame. But that was a turning point because the, what is that telling black kids? Right. You're going to die before your and time. That's why this movie was like, oh, they, he makes it all the way through. He's yeah. he's there helping, even when the other guy quits. He's there helping. He's pulling the rope that that gets. Joe Beth Williams' character and her daughter down. Yes, yeah. he's there helping. Uh, yeah, Steve he 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 is, the, Yeah, he stands with the family, right. and unlike Marty, and 
is not penalized for right. it. So that that's what I liked about that character. But anyhow, the movie nobody dies in this movie. Mm, everybody no. who's dead, he's already dead. has already been dead. Yeah, that everybody get all of the characters mm-hmm. make it through. Right. Not all of the cast, which is it's a, pity. a, a shame. But but you can you can do that. I remember, which is probably uh, why it got to PG, right? Because I think if they had killed someone, it would that's going to be an R then. And poltergeists very rarely ever harm anybody. They just scare the hell out of people and literally beat them around, push them down staircases, but pull also, their hair, bite them. People could die falling. Well, down the one person died. Like we know of one in the Bell Haunting. The there was a, a guy who accused a woman of witchcraft, if I'm not mistaken, who owned a piece of property that he wanted. Oh, that's that was the whole of Salem. Right. And so, because you know what happens if you're accused of being a witch, they right. take your land away from you, and even if you're acquitted, that reputation follows that you. That you don't get your land back. Yeah. And so in that case... Uh, and if you're killed, you clearly don't kill Yeah, <laughs> the guy was pushed down a staircase yeah. and, you know, like really violently slammed and then he, he died not much later. So it's very rare that, that happens. But um, but yeah, it also reminded me in a way of I, going with a friend to go see Annabelle Comes Home. Yeah. Which was another movie which was... That was actually surprisingly... It didn't need to be as good as it was. <laughs> yeah, I know. And yeah. it, that was one of the things because I was there with her and she's not into horror movies. And she's <laughs> Good like, choice, you all. Know. Right. And so I'm just taking her to this movie. Not just a horror movie, creepy doll movie. Right. You're just Depending <laughs> on who you are, maybe the horrorist of horror movies. Taking off all the boxes. And uh, and I'm there at the soda counter with one of the sadly now defunct Berkeley theaters. Yeah. And um, and so she just asks the person at the counter, the woman at the counter, is this going to be a scary movie? And the woman at the counter who's giving us her drinks is looking at me like, you didn't tell her? They said, no, it's Annabelle Comes Home. It's like Lassie Comes Home, right? It's like, a, it's a family film. Don't right? do that. That's cruel if you did do that. At one point, I needed to get up and use the bathroom because I drank like a liter of Coke and I I got punished by her not like, no, you're going to sit here with me. You're not nope. leaving me alone in this theater. If you piss yourself, <laughs> right. choice yeah, that's you made. Your fault. You did this to but, you. But she's like, hey, your Coke container's empty. You can use that. That's uh, right. But, Expose yourself in this theater. That'll go super well. <laughs> but it was another case where, at the end of it, she's like, it was a roller coaster ride. It was spooky as hell. Yeah. It was the TV that shows the image that's yes. two seconds in the future, the feely wheelie box with the hands that come out of it. Yeah. Really creepy. At the end of it, though, something that doesn't happen a lot in modern movies, all order is restored and everyone survives. Yeah. And they learn something from it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that kind of... It's I, not a mortal danger. Right. It feels like a mortal danger, but it turns out it right. wasn't. Right. And the yeah. fact that the characters grow from the end of it. This, yeah. That's kind of what I felt about this one, too, is when I watched the end of it. It's like, okay, then all of them have learned a lesson about how I bad I kind TV of is. wish they hadn't done any uh, sequels. Because I kind of mm. want them to be okay. You know right. what I mean? Well, yeah. Uh, because the... you care about them, a sequel yeah. works, of course. I don't like the weird things that they did with the sequel with the preacher and the... Yeah, I, like, that wasn't... That's kind of where I might disagree with you. I think the preacher character... Oh, he's creepy as fuck. was just... Gr- and I, I just don't yeah. like it as a... I don't like it tied to this storyline. Right. 
make that story, but don't because this thing, the beast, right, and and the and the lost souls. I feel like was enough, and it wasn't in this story. Right. So then, the fact that the, her continued sort of torment by at the hands of this other thing yes. feels unfair well, to me a little bit. Like, he, come on, man! He winds up the the creature is the beast. Oh, it is. Oh, okay. Yeah. So that, that's how they it's just presenting it that way, yeah. presenting that way. Like and, it presented to her as a child. Right. And it presents. Okay. And so oh, they I tied together the whole, but it did sort of invalidate the original plot in that these are all people who are there because they'd been, you know, their headstones had been moved and the bodies hadn't. And so, so they by didn't the, know where to right. go. Right. So the second film is, okay. oh, these are the people who were kept by the preacher and he kept them in this huge cave because he said the end of the world was coming and he wound up oh, interesting. killing them off. Um, and what I also liked about the second film is that Zelda Rubinstein comes back. Yes, she's in all three of them. her counterpart is played by Will Sampson, who is this enormous Native American actor who played the Indian uh, chief, is what he's called, in One Flew of the Cuckoo's Nest. One oh, Flew of the right. Nest. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I know and so he plays, like, about. this kind of uh, pagan shaman who's helping this other woman overcome this corrupted preacher. And so it becomes this kind of uh, contrast between indigenous spirituality and Western spirituality, and a t- very twisted version you know of Western what? spirituality. His, his... I, I wanted to look him up real quick uh-huh. to see what uh, tribe he was. He's Muskogee. He's listed as a painter first. Wow. So, be aware. He was, when I was a kid, he was just like, he was the Native American actor in everything. And it probably because One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest was so popular. Yeah. As a film. And, and a, he definitely, actor is next. Right. But painter is first. But yeah, um, I like the second film. I probably should see it again because there's an interesting moment that was designed, a creature that is designed by H.R. Giger Yes. in the film, The Tequila Worm, which is the scene that everyone remembers because it is really horrific. Giger's um, images are mentally sticky at right. the very least. They will stay with you. Right. I I, I think that one of the great failures that happened was in the movie Species when they sort of dumbed down the script from what the original film had in mind because Giger's yeah he was huge <laughs> that's the funny part in watching a, a, a documentary on the making of One Flew Over the Cougar's Nest oh him next to Zelda I understand right. why I understand the vision I get it now she very small he very big right I gotcha but <laughs> one of the, uh, the the directors and producers were like or the producer was, we can't find a Native American actor this tall. Like, you know, it's like not one that can act or one that had this experience. And we, they were trying to figure out some way to do it. it's from the book, right? Right. It's described in the book. He's I kind of think. a giant. And then they just wind up in a, at a car parking lot or something. And, uh, yeah, one of the uh, casting agents is, like, calling the director saying, I've just met the biggest Indian I've seen in my life. He's huge. And they cast him after that. It, he was... Because it was at a rodeo. Oh, rodeo. He was okay. a Bronco Buster. Jeez. But anyhow, yes, that's, yeah. that's the sequel. This film... Of course he was. Right. Yeah, that Bronco was like, this motherfucker's man. <laughs> right. <laughs> I'm busted. You win. But, uh, yeah, yeah, I really, I do appreciate what they did, because I feel like the the monster wasn't, like the menace in, in this film wasn't as clear as it was with Julian Beck's really weird minister. Yes. 
And he he himself was riffing from another film we'll see, Robert Mitchum's Weird Minister. Oh, in Night of the Hunter. Night of the Hunter, yeah. where he walks along singing to himself. and he, Yes, and, right. That is what I remember. I don't know that I've seen that whole movie, so... Mm. Uh, but I just, I'm, uh, yeah, okay. I didn't know that they tied it back to the beast. So that's right. good. All right. I think we're done. We've been okay. talking for so long. Oh. So next week, what we're going to do is we're going to watch The Phantom of the Opera from 1925. It is a silent film about mm-hmm. opera, everybody. Buckle up. I want you to know that you can watch it on Amazon Prime. You can watch it on Paramount Plus, And you can watch it for free on Crackle or Plex. So join us. I've never seen this. This is going to be the oldest film I'll ever have seen. And you've never seen Lon Chaney Sr. I've never seen a film of Lon... I've seen pictures of him, but I've never seen a film of Lon- with Lon Chaney Sr. Only his son. Uh, he is a, he's a very interesting guy. I am very curious. I won't see him, right? Because he's only ever Phantom, and Phantom doesn't have his face. No, but strangely enough, there are no prosthetics in that makeup. I know, because... That is like wires and facial sponges, and and it's it's horrifying to think what he could do to his face. I know, and I'm looking forward to watching it. So that is... And also, I thought it was going to be like 70 minutes long, and it is longer than that. Uh, It is either 107 or 93 minutes long, depending on the cut that we see. So we'll see what is what is available uh until then do you have anything you would like to recommend um i haven't finished watching something yet i have started stranger things i'm going to restart it again with you yes what i would like to warn people about that is that the beginning scene of it is no joke the opening scenes are really violent and there are scenes in the story it's like i think it reminds me of the harry potter films in that as the story progressed, you could do more adult material. And so the stuff that they're doing this season is not the stuff they did with the kids in the first season. It gets very violent and really creepy um, as the story goes on. I'm. It looks like it'll wind up being really interesting, but I'm only two episodes in, so... Yeah. Hopefully that'll be something to... to three? You were watching four, episode four last night. I thought I was watching episode three and I didn't finish it. But, okay. Going so fast. What about you? What about me? Yes, what do you recommend? I would recommend a film on Netflix. It is based on a YA novel. And it is about an awkward girl and a sad boy. But it's, like, really good and, and uh, not as dark as some of these things are mm-hmm. and it is called along for the ride it came out this year okay. uh and i watched it this morning between five thirty and 7 and i really really liked it Ooh. so i do recommend it i think the acting in it is quite good andy mcdowell plays her mom I like andy McDowell. and i still can't remember who plays the stepmom I'm looking it up because I am driving myself crazy with it. Uh, Dylan McDermott, Dermot Mulroney, <laughs> Dermot Mulroney plays her father. Dylan McDermott, Dermot Mulroney, Andy, Andy Shue. And who's the other one I get confused with? I forget. There's a fourth actor who 
to me, they all look so much alike. I'm going, okay. Kate Bosworth. Kate Bosworth Kate plays Bosworth. her stepmother. I'm like, she's the pretty blonde lady that always looked like a child, but now officially looks like an adult. Uh, and it's just a really sort of sweet, nice, soft movie. And I needed that. Especially after Poltergeist. After Poltergeist. And the giant ghost face Rawr. killer. Ghost face killer. Huh. Hmm. All right. That's going to bring us to an end this week. If you have questions or comments or concerns, you can email us at latecomerspod at gmail.com. You can find us on Twitter at latecomerspod or on Facebook by searching latecomerspodcast in the search bar. Uh, watch Fan of the Opera from 1925 with Lon Cheney Lon Senior. Senior in it and join us next week and until then I'd like to remind you to please 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 take your medicine and we'd like to remind you better Better late late than than never. never